This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 167. The essence of it tied to what I strive for as a person, which was basically helping upcoming emerging leaders unleash their full potential by giving them the right opportunities, by giving them, by grooming them, by giving them the right mentorship and guidance to become better leaders for the organization. Hey, HTYCers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Hey, welcome back to Happen to Your Career. I am so very excited for today because we have a special guest with us today. And we haven't we haven't done this very, very often, but I have with me today somebody who has, I think, a really interesting story, really unique set of, of background, set of skills, set of experiences, and I'm very, very excited to be able to dig into those today. But in addition to all of that, she's a member of the Happen to Your Career team. Welcome to the podcast, Gia Ganesh. How are you? I am good. Thank you, Scott, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Very, very cool. I am. I am very excited to have you. And uh, and to you know, you and I were talking a little bit before we we pressed record and everything like that. And we're obviously going to dig into some of your story, but at the same time, a little bit later, we are going to we're going to have you hang around. We're going to try and answer some of the really common questions that we get. So we're going to take some emails that we've got recently sent to us and try and answer a few of those emails too. You game for that as well. Absolutely, Scott. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Well, I am I'm so curious where this starts for you because you know, I, I know a little bit about your background and everything like that, just from just from working with you, from even when even when we were, you know, looking at bringing you onto the team and, and everything else. But you have you've got you've got a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. And that is uh, that was one of the things that was uh, appealing to me to get to work with you uh, on our team. But at the same time, I find that those make for the most interesting story. So where where does your career start out for you? And I, I've got I've got so many questions for you, Gia. <laughs> okay, Scott. So I'm going to take you a little bit uh, for the back in history, I guess. Um, so I grew up in India. And for people who are familiar with the Southeast Asian culture, you know that we are <laughs> pretty much academic driven, at least the generation that I grew up in, right? Yeah, yeah. So while we were growing up, we were heavily focused on uh, academics. And uh, at that point in time, the word passion never really existed. You know, it was all about <laughs> you just uh, went to college and you either became a lawyer, an attorney or an engineer, or a doctor. Those were the three paths that were prescribed to you even by default, right? That's it. That's so, all you get. <laughs> yes, that's it. You pick and choose from one of those. <laughs> so, well, I picked to be an engineer and I went to college and got my engineering degree. But I never, ever, Scott, till today, 
I could never ever call myself an engineer because I never related to that. I was an electronics and communication. I am an electronics and communication engineer by degree, but never ever resonated with it, never did anything with it. Interesting. Well, so you never even never even referred to yourself as an engineer? At, no, I hardly do because uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I could do anything that a true electronics and communication engineer has to do, right? <laughs> yeah. Very so good. moving on, I went on to, um, you know, it's very similar to uh, colleges out here, right? After, right um, as we were graduating, I got a job through uh, our college campus counseling and uh, I got placed into network engineering. And then I thoroughly despised it. It was total hardcore um technology stuff but the hardware side of it it was not the software side of the hardware side you know the cables and the routers and the modems and all kinds of stuff so i hardly lasted there for more than four to five months quickly transitioned to software and that's where i think my journey kind of begins is uh, i got into this multinational company where i started working as a software engineer then i had this opportunity to come to the u.s because uh, my husband lived here so i just moved here and at that point, I was kind of, I think I have faced multiple forks in the road kind of situation many times. And that was one of the first fork in the road situation, which was, do I go back to software or do I have an opportunity to do something else? And given this terrible, not terrible, I wouldn't say terrible is the wrong word, but given this background, this hardcore academic background that I come from, I was, I thought that I should go get a master's um, in information systems because I was going to build a career in information systems. Obviously, so, right? <laughs> yeah, obviously. That's all I had done until that point. And then so I decided to go get a master's in information systems while I also started working at that point. I st- I think I started as an intern. I quickly um, moved into a full-time position here. Uh, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So I uh, started my master's in information systems at Kennesaw State. And I was working, so finished all that stuff, then, you know, uh, moved up the ranks or moved up the ladder in the information systems industry, uh, started managing uh, bigger projects, development, stuff like that. But Scott, truthfully, I always, I always felt like an imposter, even at that point, because I never connected with it. So, um, again, I'm just climbing the ladder, but still feeling like an imposter. And I kept doing it. And then I said, okay, this is, it's time for me to really uh, move out of this information systems world that I live in because I'm not connecting with it anymore. So I I said, okay, how about I do the business side of information systems or IT uh, as it's more commonly known as. So I wanted to move to the business side as opposed to the more program management and operational side of things. So that's when I decided that uh, I'm going to get the next master's degree. So <laughs> I quit my job for a change this time and said, okay, I'll do my MBA from Georgia Tech. And that's what I did. I went and uh, did pursued my MBA from Georgia Tech. And uh, again, thankfully, I got a job with a management consulting firm right during my um, uh, days in school. And that was, again, another fork in the road kind of a situation because management consulting gave me the option to stay in technology consulting or um, go into something different. Uh, Luckily for me, I, although I said I would do technology consulting, they didn't have any projects for me at that point in time in technology consulting. So I got to experience a little bit of different other facets of consulting. I was initially doing some sales-oriented consulting. So I started 
helping out on different teams, which were doing other kinds of consulting as well. And um, I began to feel the desire and um, began to start resonating with many other different things. And uh, finally landed this great opportunity, which was a stretch assignment for me at that point in time, because I do not have a HR background formally or academically, but no, I had like polar opposite of an HR background yes, to some degree. Yes. Yeah. And but luckily I had I found this opportunity that was handed to me on a silver platter, if you will, uh, where I would be responsible for developing the leadership development program for the management consulting firm that I was working for um, with the assistance of the chief people officer. I would report, report directly to her and I would help her build out this program and implement it and things like that. And I think that's when things fell into place. Like I, that's when I found my spot. That, that's, what, that's what I had been working towards all my life. I just didn't know it. So hold on, I want to stop you there because this is so very, very interesting because you came from where, you know, you couldn't even really, didn't even feel like you could call yourself an engineer at any, any point in time necessarily. And cables and routers and modems and stuff weren't doing it for you. And software engineering certainly wasn't, wasn't either. So it seemed like you really started making, it seemed like you were always trying to veer out of it. You're like making small twists and turns at every chance that you could get to get away from it and try and decide what is what is the right thing and, and you can kind of see that looking back but i'm i'm curious about uh, really a couple different things here one what uh, at what point did you start thinking about it was it this point where you where you got to do some of the you know, leadership development and those types of activities, where did, where did you start thinking about it in terms of either passion or enjoyment or what, where did the switch start to flip in terms of like, Oh, there might be more to it than academics. And you go into, into the job space and you go and you know do your thing and do it well. And, and all of that, or was there ever a, a point? I think it existed all along, Scott, for me, it was not uh at one particular point in time, but it existed all throughout my career. Meaning every time I was at work, and especially if I was doing work that did not resonate with me, that really did not make me feel positive, did not bring positive emotions. I always knew that there was something else I should be doing. And even even the choice that I made in terms of becoming an engineer, I was not too happy with it. But at that point in time, I didn't know any better because that was the society I lived in. That's what everybody did, right? Um, I probably, in retrospect, it would be easy to say I should have stood up and done what I wanted to, but I'm I'm just going to go with the flow here, meaning that that at that point, that's what everybody did. And so I just followed the traditional route of doing what everybody did. But I knew I was never meant to be an engineer. Even when I was getting the degree, it never resonated with me. Then back to my career days, I never, I never felt the connection that you feel. You, you wake up every morning, and I know this sounds very cliched, saying, um, you know, you got to look forward to the day. If you really love what you do, you look forward to the day, uh, to waking up every morning and going to work. I have that now, Scott. I never had that those days. I did the work because of the handsome paycheck that I received, and that's all drove me. But that was not enough for me. As personally, I'm the kind of person who's always looking to get better as a person. And I'm going to tie, I'm going to connect the dots for you here and close the loop on this whole thing. Is yeah. All through my life, 
For me, it's all about becoming a better version of myself every day. That has been a huge factor for me. Every day, it's all about am I am I a better version of myself than I was yesterday? In whatever aspect that appeals to me, whether it's my relationship, whether it's my work that I do, I want to be the best that I can be. It's not about being better than you. It's not about being better than X, Y, Z, right? It's about am I am I unleashing the full potential that I have? Am I doing the best that I can ever do? So with that kind of a mindset, it was very difficult to stay in a job where you really didn't resonate. Because when you don't resonate with something, there's nothing... There's no way you can get better at it or you can be the best version of yourself if the core essence of it doesn't feel right to you. Um, So back to when I said I started doing the leadership development program and high potential identification and all that stuff. It tied the message, the essence of it tied to what I strive for as a person, which was basically helping upcoming emerging leaders unleash their full potential by giving them the right opportunities, by giving them, by grooming them, by giving them the right mentorship and guidance to become better leaders for the organization. That the essence of that resonated with me so deeply, Scott, because that's what I do personally. And that's where it started. This whole talent development world opened up to me and I fell deeply in love with that world. And that's where I thrive because I love doing that for myself as much as I love to see somebody else and help somebody else unleash the full potential that they have in themselves. And that's what has led to career coaching. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me, knowing you and what you're all about and what you stand for, where all of a sudden that started to feel so much more aligned for you. I, I'm very curious because you mentioned, hey, this thing was sort of handed to me on a silver platter. And I would I would beg to differ because it, it seems like you had been taking all of these, what I call small, I call them small twists and turns, but really now that I think about it, uh, they're probably big twists and turns, each one of them along the way as you moved you know, a half step, uh, half step here and a half step there, especially, especially coming from, uh, as you, as you called it, and this is the, you know, this is the way everybody did it, if you will. And those half steps are really actually big steps, but all that led up to that point. So I am, I am curious though, why you said it was delivered on a, on a silver platter and what you really meant by that. And what, what kind of led up to that in the first place? What's the story behind that? <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. You're right in that um, I did definitely take uh, small steps and turns here. But the reason why I mentioned that it was handed to me on a silver platter was because uh, in the traditional consulting world, uh, Scott, you know, either you're on a project or or you're on a bench, as it's called, like Uh, the waiting period when you're waiting for a project to come by, right? Yep. And while there were so many other suitable people with um, organizational psychology backgrounds sitting on the bench... Who, are, who would have been more suited to the project, they instead, they um, decided to go with me who didn't have a background in HR or OD or any of that sort, right? But um, the flexibility and the availability that I offered to them really helped in clinching the deal for me, meaning I was going to be available at all times. I had the flexibility to talk to anybody and everybody without having to be on client calls because I was going to be technically on the bench, otherwise waiting for a technology consulting project to come by, right? So that's the only reason why I mentioned um, it was handed to me on a silver platter, but I did all the steps that I needed to do when when I went to interview for that uh, position. 
I did all the steps I needed. I did my background research. I did all the preparation that I need to do. You have to put in the hard work. Things get handed to you on a silver platter, but you still have to put in the hard work. It just doesn't come without the hard work. So um, you got to do the preparation that you got to do. You just, uh, you can't circumvent that at all. <laughs> That's interesting. So first of all, you have to be able to get up to the point where you can have the silver platter in front of you, and then you have to be able to lock the silver platter down. But yes, <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting. I, I feel like that could be a bigger analogy someplace. We'll work on that. That's yeah. that's awesome. So then, how did it? How did for you? And I know a little bit of this story, but. I'm curious about the whole thing. How did that transpire from you are getting this taste that is so much more aligned with who you are as a, as a person and what you stand for. And you're getting that out of developing this, this, uh, leadership development program. How did you get from there over to, over to career coaching? What happened in between those stages? Okay. So, yeah. So we implemented the program. It was a few years. Everything was, you know, it takes a few years to work out the kinks and stuff like that. So we did all that. And then, um, excuse me, but uh, the future for the program was that it would be handed out to the individual uh, markets and stuff like that. So my involvement in the program was going to significantly reduce, which meant that I had to take on other stuff. I did take on other stuff like, um, you know, we reevaluated the performance uh, uh, coaching process and the performance review process. I became part of that. We, we took a revamp of the whole career paths and competency models and stuff like that. So I took, got involved in that and things like that. Yeah. But there was no other bigger project that I was going to get involved in. And this, and what happened was the chief people officer of our organization said that we would be implementing a coaching program in the organization. And um, by then, oh, by then I had started already taking coaching classes because coaching was something that I saw as a way to help myself get better, right? This whole um Reading, I, I was always reading self-help books and, you know, deeply passionate about personal improvement and topics like that. So when I chanced upon coaching, I'd just taken it up as a, something that I would like to get to understand a little bit more about as I worked with people in my organization. I thought that coaching is a skill that I should have in order to be a better program manager for the leadership development program as I worked with emerging leaders and stuff like that. So I started taking that uh, course on the side uh, from work and all that stuff. But when we started talking about implementing the coaching program for the organization, I was the first one to jump at it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> this is the program that I have to head. I have to be part of this and all that stuff. So everybody was on board and things like that. But then due to budget reasons and then because of some acquisitions and mergers, it didn't happen. It didn't happen for almost two to three years since we even started talking about it. And um, the more and the more I started delving deeper into the coaching world through the courses and certifications that I was taking, I wanted to do it. I wanted to start seeing the impact I could have on people individually through coaching them. Um, while as part of the corporate, you know, you don't sometimes get to see the impact your work can have. Um, and that's that's the reason, that's kind of the scenario for most people, Scott. You talk to people, they're like, you know what, I'm just an accountant or I'm just an analyst. Here's, that's all I do. Uh -huh. And they don't necessarily have the view into the impact that they are having 
on another person's um, life, if you will, or career or the impact they have to the organization as a whole. It's very easy to disregard, if you will, or, you know, not understand the full impact that you can have. And that desire had started to creep in me. I wanted to see the impact that I was having on another human in the workforce, which was not necessarily something you could see right away because the consultants were out there in the field and you don't necessarily get to meet them uh, for long periods of time unless you talk to them and things like that. So as I started talking to my uh, supervisor about when this program would happen, the deadline began to extend. It was like, we just don't know when we're going to have the budget and timeline for it. And uh, as part of the certifications, uh, you have to start coaching people. So that was something that I was already doing on the side because that's a core requirement. You need to be, you need to coach people in order to get the certifications and stuff like that. So since I was already doing it and I was enjoying it and this opportunity at work was not materializing, I decided to take the plunge and say that this is something I feel deeply about. I I love to develop other people, and um, this is something that I have on the side, so why not take the plunge? And I'm just taking a couple minutes here to mention this, but it was a long it was a long time period. You know, it took me a lot of thinking and a lot of deliberation to get the courage to actually quit. But I finally did it, and I branched out into having my own career coaching business. What do you think so, were some of the hardest parts then to go from that that point where you, well, first of all, it sounds like it is a long journey in the first place in terms of you were thinking about this as, Hey, I should, I should probably develop some of these skills. Like this could be a good thing. And I'm, you know, I'm always up for improving myself all the way to getting immersed in it and finding that you really enjoy that type of human development, if you will. And then then you know, making the big jump to hey, now I'm I'm doing this as uh, as a business, if you will. What what were some of the hardest parts for you along the way to make that transition? I think the biggest challenge was being able to give up that paycheck, and I'll tell you why the biggest challenge even occurred to me was because of the fact that I believed that if I give up this job that gave me at that point, I believed it gave me all that I needed in terms of flexibility, stability, career progression, uh, you know, name it. And I felt like that career gave me everything, uh, even flexibility. For me, flexibility was a huge thing. I have two young children and I needed to be able to uh, have my own flexible timings and stuff like that. And I thought that was not something easily available in a corporate job. And I had it and I didn't want to give it up. So you will not believe if I say this, but this is the primary thing that held me back. Uh-huh. I was scared that if I quit the job and I branched out on my own and if things didn't work out for me and if I had to go back to finding a job, I would never get another job. This was the only thing that held me back that was I could never find another job again. That is so funny because you're so good at getting other people jobs. <laughs> so, and... Yeah. Those I have two master's degrees, you know? Yes. Like you look <laughs> so, great on paper and there's a th- so yeah, I totally understand what you're saying in terms of I I do believe you because you and I have both worked with a lot of people that have some of those same types of fears uh, around any type of change. So, I I definitely believe you, but I also get the irony in it. Yes. So, uh, ironical, but I believe that I would never get a job. And well, it took me, it really literally took me uh, quite a few months to work over the fear. 
And it all I did was just tell myself that I have two master's degrees. I may not get the same job, but I can get some job, you know. Yeah. And it from changing uh, changing the definition of getting this job to getting some job really helped. I started to um, it started to help me build confidence in myself of. Yes, I can get some job and then I can move up and get some other job if I didn't like this. So I kept having all these backup plans, um, Scott, to help convince myself. And even when I branched out into having my own career coaching business, I always had this backup plan, which I sometimes don't really recommend because you don't put in your full effort into building that plan A. Freaking out, probably. Looking at job boards, crying, and just, it was a mess. That's just a peek into Kirby's work life before. My title was public relations manager, but I worked for a small company, so job titles at that point really don't matter. And I had been listening to your podcast, and so I just sent an email in asking, I need your help. And that's when she started our free eight-day email course. The course that you provided, and all those questions really helped me determine what made me happy in a job or what I actually enjoyed doing. Kirby really needed to make a change, so she dove right in. Strengths finders test, the disc test, I took them all. <laughs> I took all of them because I wanted to get this right. <laughs> With new insight and help, she was able to make some necessary changes. You know, I like coming to work in the morning and I like the people I work with. Nobody wants to sit there and answer hard questions, especially if it's about yourself, but it's worth it to take the time because you don't want to waste your time at a job that you don't want to do. Why would you waste your time being unhappy? Just take a personal day, take eight hours and answer all the questions. So if you need to make some changes in your life and figure out what it is that you should be doing, answering those hard questions, head on over to figureitout.co, that's figureitout.co, or text HAPPEN, H-A-P-P-E-N, to 44222. That's text HAPPEN, H-A-P-P-E-N, to 44222. And my backup plan was if I don't, uh, I had set some metrics up for myself, and I said, if I don't achieve all these metrics for myself in my business in a year, then I'm going to go back and find a corporate job, Right. Um, so that was the only way I convinced myself to take the final leap. That's what did it for me. That's what helped me take the final leap is I'll give this, I'll give this a shot for one year. If it doesn't work out, I'll go and get some job. So that was what pretty much helped me finally give up that, uh, job that I had. Right. Yeah. But I don't start, I don't recommend having that kind of a plan B situation for, Everybody, it depends on what situation we're talking about, because I have noticed that people, when they have a plan B, they're really not putting in their best effort towards plan A, because they know that they have this fallback. So I'm not saying that this is a blanket. It's, this is not a blanket statement. It may apply in certain situations. It may not apply in certain situations, but take it with a grain of salt. You should have a plan B in some cases and not have a plan B in some cases. Well, And that's so interesting that you bring that up. And I... I've seen that same thing working with people, especially for those that that are making big departures from one career to go to another career or those that are going from a a job working with a with a company to their own own thing. And I've seen that same type of it manifests itself into different types of fears, but ultimately it's it's 
some kind of fear that always pops up. And you're right, though. It really it really does depend on the person. Because for me, like it, it, it was, it was almost the opposite way. Like I had to, I had to tell myself I was a hundred percent in like, that's what, that's what worked for me. Like, yeah. I'm like, there, there can be no other plan whatsoever. Right. Uh, and my wife is the opposite way. Alyssa is the opposite way. And she's like, okay, so what's, what's the backup plan? What's, <laughs> and then we kind of had to go through that almost uh, worst case scenario type, uh, type philosophy for what's the worst thing that can happen here and then develop a secondary plan in order to kind of suit both of us. But, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it really, really, really does depend on the person. So I I like that you distinguish from that point because there's so many things that are thrown about as tactics. Oh, you just do this and all your problems will be solved. In this case, it really, really, really does depend on the person. Yeah. Okay. So I, I I know a little bit more from there because (laughs) Uh, geez, it's been, I didn't realize it, but it's actually getting close to like nine months, uh, approaching a year ago since you and I first met. Yes, that's right, Scott. I, yeah. I don't know how that has happened because it <laughs> seems like just yesterday, but yeah, it's been, it's getting close to a year now. So you and I had met somewhere along the way and then we had, we had started to maintain contact and then, uh, eventually we came in and were able to able to convince you to come on board and and join us and and you so kindly kindly have so i'm super excited to have you here in the first place because i really appreciate the i really appreciate the way that you look at this you don't look at career coaching as just a get from point a to point b type thing and i know that's many of the reason why people will come to us in the first place, but you don't look at it that way. You approach it from a whole human development type standpoint. And I think that is so much more valuable than just looking at it from a almost transactional type type value. So I, I very much appreciate that. And that's part of the reason why I'm excited to be working with you and having you on the team here. But uh, I'm, I'm super curious what, like if we jump back here a little bit, and we're thinking about, you know, all these, all these tweaks and changes and, and everything that led up to, up to this point, what advice would you give somebody else who's in that, in that situation where there may be, there may be back to like software, software engineer type Gia, and they know that it's not very aligned and they're trying to figure out what they can do or should do, or even how, how to go about that. So what, what pieces of advice would you give somebody who's in that type of situation where they are, are trying to figure it out, if you will? Um, Okay, I'll try to keep this generic here, but um, I think the first thing to uncover is, which I probably didn't do a good job of myself at that point, is there are what aspects of software development did I not like? You know, so if somebody is in a point where they don't like the job they're in, I want them to understand first, what about the job situation they are in, don't they like? Is it the kind of work they do is the environment they are in is the company culture is it their boss you know i want them to identify 
what it is that they don't like so that they don't actually throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Yeah. Because when you're not clear about what it is that you don't like, then it's very difficult to make a change because at that point you're trying to make a change all over as opposed to making changes in layers. If, for example, I'll tell you, Scott, you know this, when we work with our clients and we uncover this, help them uncover this process, for some people, it's just the fact that they don't like the particular supervisor or the team that they're in. They don't have as much complaint about the work they do, but they just don't like the people they work with or their supervisor who may have certain narcissistic tendencies or whatever it may be that's uh, kind of um, constraining the person to do well in their job. So if that is the case, then all a person in that situation just needs to find a similar job in a different company where the culture is better or the supervisor that they work for offers other better opportunities and things like that, right? So just depending on what it is that really frustrates you about your job, identifying that is the first step. The second step then is to um, understand what is it that you truly want to do. And that's, again, I know that's a difficult question for many people to answer because they come to us and ask, tell us that. I don't know what it is that I want to do. Why do you not have the answer, Gia? Why don't you know what I want to do? Um, which is, um, yeah. yeah, so many people think that they don't know the answers, but they do. And uh, that's where we step in and we give them guidance around what it are, what are the messages that they can look for in their life. You know, sometimes, you know, some of our clients, Scott, we've seen this, is they even go back to the basics, things that they liked as children, they still hold interest in those areas. And Those are the kind of things we help them uncover. What kind of things did you enjoy doing? What kind of things interest you today? And then when we, I am really shortening the process here too. We we do a very exhaustive and more in-depth exploration with our clients. But right now, for brevity's sake, I will just say that we explore their skills, their interests, their passion. We understand what uh, skills they've developed over the years. We kind of combine all that together and help them understand what makes sense to pursue as a career versus what makes sense to have as a hobby. That's something I always want to make sure is just because you, I'll I'll give you my example. I love Zumba, which is a form of exercise, right? Yeah. I could do Zumba every day, but would I want to make a living teaching Zumba? No, that takes the fun out of it for me. I could never be a Zumba teacher, but I would love to go to Zumba class every day. Right. So that's the kind of distinction that we help our clients make. Just because you love something, doing something um, does not necessarily mean you can make a career out of it, because if you don't want to, then you should not be making a career out of it. I do not want to be a Zumba teacher ever. I just want to attend classes. So there are very subtle differences in many of these aspects, which obviously we can't cover on our call here today, Scott. But these are the kind of things that we take our clients through. We help them look at all that they bring to the table. We help them package it in the right way so that they can present themselves in the way that they should be presented to different organizations or in the case where they are starting their own business. We help them package their value to their target clients, right? So um, did I? hopefully I answer the question. If not, you can ask me for the questions. Yeah, here's, here's what I love about what you said. First of all, I think you acknowledged, and then I made fun of it, that this this 
question of what do I want is just so huge. It's it's too big and it's often too big to be able to answer all at once, right? It really, mm-hmm. really, really is. It's it's too it's too big of a problem. It's too much elephant. You have to do the one bite at a time approach, right? So yeah. I really like what you pointed out at the beginning is start with what's much easier and start with what you don't like. And once you understand what specifically you don't like, that's a way to break it down to that one bite of at a time. And that, that becomes much, much more manageable because it's so much easier for us to be able to see what we don't like. Like most people, most people I find can speak to that fairly easily, but they may, to your point, they may have not thought about it in the way of, well, I guess the only thing I really don't like and it's causing me a lot of grief and a lot of pain here is just my boss. Everything else is actually fine. Okay, well, <laughs> how do I solve that problem? Because <laughs> everything else is great. So that's, that's, but it might be causing so much havoc in their world and so much pain in their world uh, because your boss is a big part of your job that they're looking at it as, oh my goodness, what do I do? Do I, you know, do I go to a different career or do I, you know, Oh my goodness, what should I do? There's all these different things I'm considering and it gets lost in the swirl. So I really, really, really like that point. Um, the other thing that I really enjoyed about what you what you just said is really separating out this whole what do I do that is getting value back or adding adding value to the world, but uh, getting value back in terms of like a career or a job or something. And what am I doing just for fun? And... Uh, a lot of people really, really feel like, especially, and I get this question all the time, like, I love ducks, and I love dogs, and I love fashion and sunglasses, and I really like eating pancakes, and how do I take all that and divide it into a career? Like, how do I do that, Gia? <laughs> and I don't think that you have to, and I don't think that you should necessarily. I think that you may want all those things in your life, or your life, to, to your point, uh, but you don't have to go and be the Zumba teacher. And in uh, you know, maybe that doesn't even make sense. Like Alyssa is a, she's a fitness instructor and you know, she is, uh, she doesn't make a lot of money at that way. She does it primarily because it's fun for her, not because right. she's going to bring in massive amounts of, I don't know, something to support our family. It's, uh, even though she's getting paid for it, it's still really a hobby for her. In that exactly. Way, that makes sense. I, I just want to add one more thing. Um, I think which will be valuable to the yeah. listeners is the fact that sometimes just standing on the outside and looking at somebody else, it's very easy to glamorize somebody else, you know, and which we all tend to do. It's very easy to say, look at her. She is, um, she is a massage therapist. I mean, she, she must be earning a lot of money. Her job looks like fun. She gets to, uh, go in at different times. She meets new people. Her job looks like fun. Or let's say in Alyssa's case, she's a fitness instructor, you know, she gets to work out she gets to have fun she you know it's very easy to glamorize somebody else especially if it's something that we think we may be remotely interested in right yeah, yeah. but this is where i think it's important for all of us to actually try to gather data points this is where we ask you to do more research this is where i would challenge my clients to go say go talk to at least five to ten instructors and i would help them come up with a set of questions that they would cover with each of the person, each of the people that they meet. If let's say they want to be a massage therapist, I would help them come up with a set of questions that they would go and ask at least 10 massage therapists. Because 
it's easy to stand on the outside and say, I would love to do what she do or what she does. But can you do what she's doing day in and day out every single day for the next five years? That's what I'm trying to help them assess at that point. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because um, even even with um, the work that we do, Scott, it's very easy for many people to say, oh, I could easily do that. I think uh, Scott has so much fun doing it. Gia has so much fun doing it. They are you know, it's easy to say that, but you you got to really talk to the people who are doing the work to gather the data points and to see if it makes sense for you, your values, your situation in life, right? It uh, it has to align to much more than what appears on the outside for us. That is, that is ridiculously true in ways that I can't even convey in words. But I was I was thinking about it just through my own lens a little bit too. And that's Believe it or not, that's actually part of how we got to bringing other coaches on or even thinking about bringing other coaches onto our team way back when, because, uh, or I guess not, it's not that long ago, but, uh, I, I found that even though I love coaching, it is something that I have the most fun doing when I have, you know, 10 or 15 coaching clients it becomes less fun for me. And I find that I'm not as good for the people that I'm helping. So thinking about it from, and at that point in time too, our our business was growing quite a bit and thinking about it from, hey, how do I spend more of my time doing the things that are really adding value to the world and adding value to me because that's the best combination. Um, You know, it, it really made sense for us to think about how do we, how do we bring on other people to, to support these, the people that really need help that are coming to us for help that were, you know, at that point in time, we were sort of turning away and then really kind of limit me to just a, just a couple of, a couple of clients so that I can focus on, on growing the business and we can actually be able to help more people really discover what they want and make transitions to that. But I mean, even, even just thinking about that piece, like it, it didn't, I don't know, it, it really, that everything you were saying made me made me think about that part of it. So yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> what do you say we try and answer a few more questions, a few specific questions that we've had from uh, listeners and HTYCers and people that are that have joined up our email list and get our emails regularly? And we've got we've got a whole bunch of questions, but we've chosen a few in particular, because they're the same types of musings and, and thoughts and questions that we have over and over again. You game for that? Absolutely. All Let's right. start, Scott. Okay, cool. So here's here's the first one. And I'm going to, I'm just going to read off part of this email. And what I find, by the way, we were just talking about this before we hit the record button too, is that when you're trying to figure out what to do and what makes sense for you for a career and how you kind of mesh this passion and everything else together, it, it can be confusing. So sometimes people don't even necessarily know how to ask the question. And you'll kind of see that in, in a couple of these, I think. So this one's from Emily. And Emily said, I recently just lost my job due to company-wide cuts, so I'm literally back to square one. And I'm trying to figure out what it is that I want to do, and I've got this added pressure of needing a paycheck. Yay, she said. (laughs) And I believe that's a sarcastic yay. Pretty darn sure. So she says, I'm struggling to find a career that fits, that's fulfilling, that allows me to give back to others. And ultimately, she wants to do this in the way that she wants to do it. And she says, she goes on to say a little bit later on in the email, 
You know, I'm, I'm currently almost halfway down with my second semester of an MBA program at George Washington University. I enrolled in this program because GWU teaches all of its all of its courses from an ethical and business social responsibility perspective. And then she, from there, I'm skipping a few sentences, but she says, I truthfully have no idea what a role in this field will look like for me. But she's in this place where she's really trying to figure out what do I want to do? And now she feels this massive pressure of, <laughs> I have to figure it out now because I need this paycheck, right? Because right. she got laid off, right? So what what do you think about her situation in the first place? Because she's looking for thoughts and what is she, what is she, what should she be doing and how should she be thinking about this, this yeah, problem, ab- this the real world situation? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So for Emily, what I would suggest is... There was some reason she took the MBA program, right? It's um, it's like it's almost like dating. You date somebody because something about them appealed to you, right? And she had some kind of an idea or something about the MBA program that initially appealed to her, enticed her to get in. So I want her to go back and firstly identify what was she thinking when she was when she enrolled in the program. What idea did she have? What did she want to get out of the MBA program? So firstly, get clear on that. Second thing is, um, she mentions, uh, uh, I I think she mentioned something about the social enterprise kind of a role, right? Is that what the program was about? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, and she said she doesn't have a clear understanding of this. You won't believe this card, or I'm sorry, you will believe it, but (laughs) because you've seen this, but not other people may not believe this is the fact that we tell you to go gather data points. We tell you to go talk to people and get a further understanding about what they do, what their job looks like, what their job comprises of. And not many people do actually venture out to talk to other people. And that's where they don't have all the right data points to make an informed decision. You know, an informed decision comes when you have enough and good data points. And that will not come if we don't go out and talk to people. So in Emily's case, I think she is... Uh, it's a blessing for her because she's in a university setting where you get to talk to many people, many other students who are in the same boat along with her, as well as students who have jumped off the boat, alumni. She has the ability to reach out to alumni and see what kind of jobs and careers alumni from that particular specialization of MBA have landed themselves in. Those gives uh, that again, that's a starting point for her because she gets to now understand, huh, there, there are these five different kinds of careers that these people have landed themselves in, which I had no awareness of because I didn't know what this whole new world that exists here is all about. So she can leverage that as well. And um, what was her other question? I'm sorry, I'm going to. Well, she's got the kind of two, the one two approach here. Of, she got laid off and she's struggling to find a career that fits. And now. I get the impression that she feels like she has to do all of this now because Mm -hmm. she is also needing this paycheck. So uh, she's got a, she's got a time expiration, if you will. Okay. And so I don't know if she's doing a full-time MBA or she's worked or she's trying to find a job while doing an MBA, but I'll just approach it from that perspective that she is trying to work at the same time as doing her MBA. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Okay. So again, um, while it is easy for us to, again, there seems to be a 
whole world of thought out there, which is all about giving back to others in a very, um, what should I say? People are glamorizing the giving back piece of it as well, Scott. And giving back can come in many forms. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that you are sacrificing your career or your paycheck to give back, right? So all that I'm trying to say is, Emily can still leverage the skills she has built over these years. If she has been, I don't know what her background is, but let's assume she has been in technology. So she can use those same technology skills to find a job that is more fulfilling. And this is where talking to a career coach or working with a career coach would be really helpful because we can help brainstorm different ways in which she can package the same skills to suit her needs at this point in time. And this is something I always say is the skills that we learn in once, one career, one job, one role are not necessarily constrained to that role, that career, that job. There are ways those skills can be leveraged and transformed to suit other careers as well. So this is where working with a career coach would be really helpful for Emily so we can help her package the skills. Firstly, identify the skills that she brings and then help her package it to find suitable jobs for her at this point in time when she really needs a paycheck. You know what cracks me up a little bit is, <laughs> and I'm a, let's acknowledge that I'm really biased on this, okay. <laughs> but uh, so many people think about um, so many people think about when they get into a situation where they've been laid off or lost their job or anticipate losing their job or something else, that that is not a time to invest in themselves. And I have the opposite view. And I, I've been through this situation a number of times myself, and I've done this both ways, actually. Um, <laughs> kind of the uh, fear-based mentality where if I spend any money whatsoever, then that's going to take away from the small amount that I have in savings or whatever else, uh, you know, and that was like 10 years ago or so, um, versus going into a situation where it doesn't have a determined outcome and realizing that that's not where I need to double down on myself and, and set myself up for success, if you will. And now having done it both ways, I'm very, very biased in that I feel like it's Almost always, not always, but almost always the right decision to double down on yourself and set yourself up for that success versus leaving anything to chance. And, Agreed. And that, but that isn't how I've found most people are thinking about it. So it always, it always cracks myself up a, a little bit. But the other thing that I like about um, what you said out of that there is she's in this place where she actually has a lot of a lot of resources because she's she's already pursuing her her master's degree and you know I think I would to build on what you said I'm I'm always going to rather than pursue a pursue a master's degree as a, a way that just you're going to get more competitive as a job applicant uh, without knowing what it is that you want to spend your time doing um I don't necessarily agree with that Emily but you're already there so uh, let's, let's assume that, you know, picking up with, uh, with what you have and what your, what your situation is, then you have a ton of resources available for you right now. As you pointed out, Gia, there's students, there's alumni, but, um, I would say spend the small amount of time to get clear on, Hey, is this actually a good thing? Is this actually going to lead you down the path of where you want to go before continuing to go deeper and deeper into, um, 
I'm making the assumption that uh, that there may be student loans involved here or something else along those lines. Uh, but you're paying a pretty penny uh, for, especially at George Washington University, for that master's degree. So make sure that it's uh, leading to something rather than hoping that it leads to something. And I think education is great when it is leading to something and uh, and as a means to an end versus just entertainment and hope. Um, but you've got all these resources. So absolutely love that. Anything else that uh, that we should add for Emily? And she should reach out to her professors as well. You know, yeah. professors are a wealth of information and they have connections to various organizations because they do some consulting. They can have internship opportunities. So she should leverage everybody in and around her uh, available network at the master's program. Well, and Emily, I think you can think about this as a couple of step process because ultimately you need a paycheck right now and that's okay. Like that is, that is totally okay. So we think about it in, in focus on improving your current situation to a job that's much more, much more closer aligned. Kind of like your background, Gia, like you took, you took some of those side steps. And I think that Emily, if you take a side step here, you're going to learn a whole bunch about yourself and at the same time, improve your situation and satisfy that need to, you know, um, have indoor plumbing and whatever else it might be. Right. So, uh, that doesn't mean you're going to have to stay there forever necessarily. It's just another step closer to what to discovering what it is that you really want to be doing and focusing those efforts in a little bit different way. And then that'll allow you the uh, flexibility to continue down the path of really figuring out what uh, where your strengths and your wants actually are. And it, it depends a little bit on how much runway you have here too and how much time you have. But that might be another way to think about it. Should we do one more? Sure. Okay. So here's a here's another one. This is from let's see. Geez, we got a whole list here. Which one should we pick? Let's do let's do this one from Stephanie. <laughs> she's looking for she's looking for thoughts. So she she graduated from OU. I'm not sure which uh, which OU that is. There's a couple of them out there. Uh, with master's in education, it sounds like. So she currently works in international education and it sounds like she spends most of her time in front of the computer coordinating international programs. And that's not where she wants to be at all. It sounds like it's lacking interaction with people. So she says, I started my career in the, in the private sector and I'm beginning to think that the private sector might be a better fit for me, either working in HR, organizational development, course design, instructional design, or leadership development. Uh, this is right up your alley, Gia. <laughs> I thrive when I'm able to help students or people in general identify their strengths, values, interests, and areas of growth in order to cultivate their potential. Jeez, this really is right up your alley. I love helping people identify a goal and give them the tools to work toward it. I also enjoy innovating systems and finding better approaches to bog down processes. Lastly, I enjoy helping people acclimate to a new culture. And I've done this through working with U.S. students abroad in Japan. Um, and I'm looking for how I can pivot back into the private sector with these new skills in counseling, education, advising, and intercultural communication. And I'd also like to find a company that offers opportunity for growth, advancement, and professional development. That's where I'm at now. What are your thoughts on that? And this is, this is from Stephanie. Wow. Okay. I, know. I, don't, <laughs> and go, I don't know where right? to start. <laughs> but uh, We can chunk it uh, out. I'll Love, love her profile and love that she uh, seems to be a self-aware person 
um, at least from the little that information that she's given us, she seems to know that this is what she loves doing. And um, she has also identified that what she doesn't like about her current job is the fact that she doesn't get to interact with people. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that's the major thing that is lacking for her. And it sounds like she didn't say this, but it the what I'm reading in between the lines is part of the, her enjoyment interacting with other people is from that sort of development type of interaction, if you will. So it, it mm-hmm. sounds like it's almost a specific type of interaction she jo- enjoys, not just, and I'm curious if she's, uh, I don't know if she's realized that for herself already, probably, but uh, yes, yeah, that particular type of interaction is what I'm reading. Right, right. Um, again, without knowing too much about her background and what she's been doing all these years and stuff like that, but we'll just go with the assumption that she's working at this uh, university now for, let's just assume that she's been with the university for some time. And uh, again, I don't, like I always do with all my clients, Scott, I want to see if we can leverage where she is at firstly, right? I don't want her to have to throw away the baby with the bathwater in this case, I mean that she should look for opportunities in the university environment. The university environment itself offers quite a bit of different opportunities. So first challenge to her would be to see if uh, she would be open to identifying such opportunities in the university environment. And the reason why I say that is she specifically says she wants to move into private sector. And I'm a little bit curious why she wants to move into private sector, why wouldn't she want to do the same thing in an academic setting because um, it exposes her to many students and students are always looking to develop themselves. And she says she likes to help identify strengths, values, interests, and areas for students. So if she knows that she likes doing that with students, then why does she want to move into the private sector? I have a lot of questions for her at this point. So many questions. (laughs) This is uh, this is interesting. I believe if I'm, again, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, so I'm making some assumptions here. So I might be getting it wrong, Stephanie, but it sounds like she's perceiving perceiving university and uh, education sector as uh, bogged down by bureaucracy and not a lot of innovation. And also, it sounds like she's not enjoying it now. So she's looking back at the private sector as, hey, that's where I actually, you know, <laughs> I started and there were pieces that I enjoyed. So it almost feels like, she wants to go back to some of the things that she perceived that she enjoyed before to, to some degree. That's, that's how I'm reading it, but I might be getting that wrong. That, that makes sense. And again, um, I'm going to ask Stephanie to take a step back and truly understand and identify what aspects of working in the private sector appeal to her. And by private sector, is she, did she really work at multiple organizations or did it just happen to be one organization where everything seemed to work well for her at that point in time, right? So there's a bunch of things that Stephanie would have to step back and identify, peel the layers, if you will. With the private sector, what did she like doing there? What aspects of that appeal to her? With the current environment, she has identified that she doesn't like bureaucracy, but well, hey, bureaucracy does exist in, exist in private sector in many forms as well. So I wanted to be very clear on what aspects of her current environment seem to bother her versus what aspects of her private sector environment appeal to her. Second thing is she has identified that she likes to do certain things, which is to develop students with strengths, values, and stuff like that, basically helping um, them develop as a human uh, and unleashing the potential. Um, so 
those opportunities exist in multiple organizations, private, uh, non-profit, academic. It, it could come in many different forms. So I wanted to understand and who are the kind of people that she would like to work with. And for example, um, we'll just take our examples here. We are career coaches, uh, and I'll speak specifically to me, Stephanie. I like working with mid to senior level career professionals and helping them specifically with their career advancement and navigating career transitions. I like to do that. So I'm very specific about the people that I have targeted and identified that I would like to work with. I would ask you to do the same thing, Stephanie. You said you like to help people develop. I want you to know, because you mentioned in this case that you like students. If if you like working with students, then um, you're playground, if you will, is right there right now in the university environment. So um, that's the reason why I want you to be very clear on who are the kind of people you like to work with and get a little bit more deeper into the kind of work you love to do. You say you like to develop these people, but what do you actually mean by that? Developing people can come in different forms and shapes. Do you like to be a school counselor? Uh, You know, I want you to try to dig a little deeper and identify at least five to 10 different job profiles that could fit the interest that you're telling me that you have at this point, right? Um, um, I'm getting into a coaching session here. Uh, stop me, Scott, before I... I... No, <laughs> keep on rolling, keep on going. No, this is so awesome because I... I yes, 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 yes. I really, really believe that you're right because uh, I think what you said and you know, how I'm how I'm interpreting what you said is really taking and developing what is the context around this. And it sounds like she might be missing some of the opportunities that are already immediately around her, to your point. And that's easy. So it seems like start with what's easy and you can build out from there and decide if you need to go harder. But yeah, you know, she mentioned enjoys helping students. She mentioned uh, that development piece, helping people work towards a goal, give them the tools to work towards it. So, yes, who are those people specifically that you most enjoy? And it, it always cracks me up a little bit, too, because uh, people don't want we as humans don't want to choose a lot of the time. We don't mm. we feel like we want to help everybody to some degree. I don't want to limit it down to a certain type of people, but uh, but really there is probably people that you find that you can help better than others and also people that you enjoy helping most if you're to prioritize a little bit. And those are the people that you should be spending your time around because you can make a larger impact in their lives versus, you know, if you're looking at it from everybody. So really, really, really love what you said. That is so, so true. A lot of times those clues are in the context Absolutely, Scott. I loved how you rephrased it and packaged it well for Stephanie. So hopefully she has some, hopefully we've given her thoughts around how she can progress and take some next steps in order to peel the layers. So, yeah, I I think that this is great. So we kind of, we answered your question, but in a really, really indirect way, Stephanie, she was asking, how do I get back to the private sector with these new skills? But I would really encourage you to do everything that Gia said. And before you go running off to the private sector, uh, really identify where it is that you should be spending your time and who it is in a lot of cases that you should be spending your time. And that'll give you the clue is, first of all, how to even or where to even look for that and even um, even a step further, if that is in the private sector, it'll help you understand what types of organizations you should be after in the private sector. Then once you know that you can begin reaching out to those organizations and that's where you can start. Hey, this is, I am, (laughs) 
I feel like we could keep going for hours and hours here, and I would absolutely love to, uh, but I know that we have to end this at least today. So I, I so <laughs> much appreciate you taking the time and making the time, Gia. This has been awesome, and we'll, we'll have to bring you back on and do some more uh, frequently asked questions here as well. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. And next time, I promise I'll try to be more concise. <laughs> no, no, this is absolutely fantastic. Hey, by the way, if uh, if you're really interested in more about Gia or her story or anything else, then you can you can reach out to her at Gia at HappenToYourCareer dot com and. Also, at the at the same time, you can go over and, and learn a little bit more about her on HappenToYourCareer dot com slash one sixty seven, and that'll get you to the this particular episode, all the notes and links to links and story behind Gia as well. So, absolutely do that. And Gia, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time and official public welcome to the team. Now, thank you, Scott. It was my pleasure. Hey, if you've ever thought about becoming a coach, but you're not sure where or how to start, uh, or, or maybe it's a case you've started, but you're having trouble getting traction. Well, wherever you're at, we've put together a pretty amazing resource. I would call it the ultimate resource to help you become a career coach. It starts with a special email series for new and aspiring career coaches to learn exactly what it takes to build a profitable coaching practice that produces results for your clients and covers the, all the questions that people have when they're when they're getting started or in those new stages of building a coaching business just go to howtobeacareercoach.com and enter your email address to get started that's howtobeacareercoach.com and to give you an idea what to expect you'll learn the differences between a $27,000 coach and a six-figure coach how to get results from working with lots of different people and it's pretty much the opposite of what you would think and then also who's the type of person that really truly makes a successful career coach? So the answers might surprise you, but we'll introduce you to some of the most complete training that you have ever seen and is on the planet, quite frankly, to become a professional career coach. Just go to howtobeacareercoach.com to start getting this information. Yeah, most people don't understand how to do job search and careers differently. It's cases where they're... (laughs) thinking about, okay, I get that I should do it differently. And I get that if I want to have different results, then I need to take a different approach. But what is it that I actually do? Like, what are the, what are the things where I am actually spending my time? What are the activities that are, that approach that? And how do you actually do that? That's right. All that and plenty more next week. It's here on Happen to Your Career. I will see you next week when the episode releases on Monday. All right. I am out. Adios. Mm-hmm.